Hi, my name is Dejan Milojčić, I'm Distinguished Technologies at Hewlett Packard Labs. And in this issue of the podcast on technology innovation and management, we have Kalen Bash, the VP of Hewlett Packard Enterprise and the Director of Systems Architecture Lab. Hi. Thank you, Dan. Hi. Welcome. So you are a very unique person in our whole lab, uh, not only as a lab director, but uh, you are a mechanical engineer. That's how you started your career, and we are an IT company. Right. So how's that working for you? What was your experience? Well, you know, what's, what's really interesting is IT companies tend to be incredibly broad with respect to technology and engineering disciplines. So uh, IT industry, and, and this varies by company, of mm -hmm. course, but um, the IT, IT industry tends to want to uh, be able to consume uh, information and, um, and expertise from, from a wide variety of engineering disciplines, from computer science, architecture, mechanical engineering, uh, manufacturing. Uh, I even remember when I, when I joined um, Hewlett Packard, uh, we had chemical engineers as, as well, uh, control theorists. So it's a great way to bring together engineers from a lot of different disciplines. And the really exciting thing that I've learned about over my career is that when you bring different people together of, of different minds and different backgrounds, what you get in the end is something that uh, might be more innovative even than if you just put people together with like minds. So I've had the, the really great privilege of being able to work on, on the same project with folks that are widely different from me. Um, and that's, you know, for me in my career made a huge difference. It's mm -hmm. kept it exciting, it's kept it interesting, and, um, and I really do see the IT industry as kind of a melting pot for all of that. Now, having said that, as a mechanical engineer um, coming out of, of college, what I was interested in at that time was heat transfer mm. and, um, and thermal sciences. And so what attracted me to the IT industry was um, coming up with new ways of removing heat from, from systems, right? So that's why I joined the IT industry. But honestly, I didn't know what I was getting into. I didn't know what uh, other engineers and what other disciplines would, would be there. And so when I joined, um, I, I found out there were two categories of, of uh, mechanical engineers. And this is a bit of a stereotype because many things are stereotypes, but there's some basis in reality and a lot of basis of, of you know, that's not real, not real or not based in reality. But the two categories of mechanical engineers were, one, sheet metal jockeys. Mm -hmm. So what's a sheet metal jockey? A sheet metal jockey is somebody who uh, uh, manipulated, designed sheet metal to form the enclosures and chassis of computer systems and networking gear and, and the like. Not an easy job, requires a lot of creativity, but we were pigeonholed into that category. And the other category was um, waste management. So it was, if we're, if we're working on heat transfer and, and thermal sciences, the whole point of that is to remove the heat from the system, to manage that waste, and so we were waste management engineers. Both kind of derogatory. And so how do we fix that? Well, one way to fix that is, because we're engineers, what we do best is we take um, ideas from engineering, combine that with, with creativity, and, and out comes innovation, right? And that's true in, in any engineering discipline. And so my colleagues and I, within HP and within the industry at the time, we wanted to change that. And so the way we changed it was really through innovation and then through educating the industry, starting with the company, and then the industry, uh, that, um, that creativity and innovation occurs everywhere. And by combining that together with all these disciplines, you, know, you really get something that's much greater than uh, the sum of its parts. So um, another profession that removes heat for projects uh, are managers. Um, you started as a technologist and then eventually moved to managers. Uh, how has that been working for you and what's your experience 
Do you, have you ever uh, abandoned technical contributions? You still enjoy understanding things? Well, absolutely. I, I, actually, I think it's 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 fundamental. It's necessary um, to be a, a a good manager in an R and D organization. It's necessary to stay uh, technical. So let's unpack that. What is a what is a the technical community do versus the managerial community? So a technical community is really charged with creating uh, business value through. Uh, through technical innovation. Mm -hmm. um, the management community, on the other hand, is really charged with, they do a lot of things, but for me it kind of boils down to um, providing resources for, um, for projects and for the technical team to make progress and, uh, and for, um, for uh, breaking down barriers to progress. So provide the resources, break down the barriers. But really when it comes to um, strategy and roadmaps and really understanding what's necessary from a resource perspective to, to work on a project successfully, those two things need to combine. The technical team and the managerial team need to work together on, on this. Um, and so you, you can't have one without the other. Uh, I think they're both absolutely necessary. Um, it's certainly possible to move up the technical path without being a manager and without having a lot of managerial, formal managerial skills. But the opposite, um, if, if you're a manager of a technical team, I think you really do rely on technical skills and you really kind of need to, to, um, to lean on those technical skills to be, to be effective. So in my career, um, for example, I've had you know, quite a few managers and thinking back, um, every one of them has been technical. Every one, um, to my knowledge anyway, started as, um, as a, a, a technical person on a technical career path of some sort and then ended up moving over to, to management. At where we work at Hewlett Packard Labs, um, uh, most managers uh, are also doing technical work, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's really not one or the other, it's, it's a combination. So you move from mechanical towards IT contributions, you move from technologies to manager. The third chain, big change you made was moving from business units to labs. So what's your experience in, in, in this transition? Yeah, I, I started in, um, in the product development or organization doing, doing product development within a business unit and then, uh, and then moved over into labs, which is really more of a, a research advanced development type environment. And you know, what I found is, is on the product development side of things, you know, product development tends to be more short term. It tends to be more constraint driven um, with uh, less flexibility. Um, but on the other hand, product development engineers are connected to um, a commercialization infrastructure. So the ideas that they develop, the innovations that they develop, tend to move through into a pipeline that can then be commercialized fairly effectively. That's what the product development organization is meant to do. So if you're a product development engineer and you like the idea, it excites you, to have people ultimately use your your end uh, your the, the results of your work, um, it's a fantastic place to be. Mm -hmm. And many many engineers out there gravitate towards towards uh, those organizations because they want to have an impact to uh, society to the world. That's why we all become engineers to begin with anyway. Um, in uh, a lab environment or in a more of a maybe R and D research advanced development environment, it's a little bit longer term, um, fewer constraints. Uh, more flexibility, but that connection to the infrastructure that um, will commercialize ultimately an innovation is not as strong. So it can be more difficult and it could take more time to see uh, an idea or an innovation make its way to, uh, to an end user. 
And so those are kind of the, 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 the differences between the two. And, and um, depending on, on you know, anybody's individual interest and whether they're more interested in, in either a long-term researchy, less constrained um, way of operating or whether they want to see something that they're doing make it out to the world and get used more quickly, you know, they may gravitate towards one environment or the other. And there isn't one that's better than another, by the way. They're both absolutely necessary mm -hmm. for, I think, a functioning society. So with your uh, extensive experience going to all these extremes, what is your advice to new young professionals? Oh, I think the, the, the first piece of advice would be to um, stay connected to the fundamentals. You know, whatever their discipline is, there's going to be a fundamental foundation of, uh, of concepts, of understanding that, um, that everything else is built upon. And that mm -hmm. foundation doesn't really change much with time. Uh, so staying connected to that, staying attached to the fundamentals is, uh, is really, really important. Um, and we can do that by, by teaching, either informally or formally. I've taught myself at local universities to stay on top of things. Um, that's a really great way of, uh, of connecting to the fundamentals. And the reason this is so important is because, especially our industry, there's tremendous change. Right? There's change all the time. People are, industries uh, uh, are being disrupted, you know, even within the IT industry. And, uh, and so the second thing, uh, the second piece of advice I would have other than staying uh, attached to the fundamentals is to embrace change. And mm -hmm. it's a lot easier to embrace change when you have a connection back to the fundamentals. Uh, because, again, the fundamentals don't really change very much in time. So you can always make that connection back and have that firm foundation. Um, a, a third item, I think, is, um, is to stay connected to your, your peers and your, your colleagues in, in the industry because your peers and your colleagues know things that, uh, that you don't. You know, nobody knows everything. And, um, and to, to really be a flexible um, engineer uh, over time, it's important to do that. We don't live in a bubble, and, uh, and we shouldn't act like we do. So stay connected to your peers. And then the final, I think, piece of advice that I would have is um, take ownership of your career. Um, I, I think, you know, in, in college, you know, we, we have an imperfect view of what industry or what our careers might, mm -hmm. might be. And maybe we think that there's going to be somebody out there overlooking our, our career for us, managing our career for us. That doesn't happen. We have to take uh, control of that ourselves. So, in a way, you are the point of control for the whole lab. So, how do you manage the balance between fundamental research that you're mentioning and more advanced development or even product development? Where do you put the resources? What, how do you follow uh, your own gut feeling or the directions or the, the business strategies? You know, I, I, tend to, I tend to think of, you know, rather than thinking of things in terms of uh, near or long-term or, or even, you know, research versus something that might be closer in, in time, advanced development or even development. Mm -hmm. I, I think of it in terms of, in my own mental image, uh, a funnel. And you've got, on, on the input of the funnel, you have a lot of ideas that go in. Uh, and um, the purpose of the funnel is to de-risk those ideas mm -hmm. and to filter out the ones that, that are most promising from the ones that probably need to go on the shelf and, and stay there for a little bit longer. The outlet of the funnel are de-risked ideas, not products, mm -hmm. um, but ideas that can then go into a product development uh, um, organization. And um, the pace of ideas moving through that funnel is going to be different depending on uh, the maturity of the idea and depending on how much connection that idea might have with either other ideas or other supporting infrastructure. 
And that's where we kind of think through how resources should get uh, allocated. So it's not a matter of, of necessarily having a project that might see end of end of or might might see the end of the uh, funnel in a year versus one that might take 10 years. It's really about looking at each of those problems and saying, all right, how much dependency does one have on maybe other infrastructure or other resources versus, versus the other? Um, how close is one um, idea to being de-risked versus another idea? That said, you have to have, you have to be practical about, um, about near-term um, business value and longer-term value mm -hmm. and adjust resources like that. But it's really a blend of those things. There isn't um, a single answer, it's more of a spectrum of answers. So you mentioned risk and ideas. Um, we're at the point where uh, the Moore's law is ending and we need to think about what succeeds. And that's a huge risk for the whole industry because we cannot expect acceleration of processor anymore nor huge amounts of memory, etc. So uh, by leading the lab, how are you, are you addressing this problem, both within the lab and then broadly inside of the community? You know, I, I think that we are in a, a very exciting time for the IT industry and for engineers entering the, mm -hmm. the industry or engineers who have been here for a, a while. There is so much change happening right now because of not just the end of Moore's Law. The end of Moore's Law is, is saying that, uh, or Moore's Law is saying that performance is doubling every 18 months or so, and we can just ride that performance curve uh, for as long as we'd like, but, but that's ending now. Things are, are flattening, so, um, so what does that mean? But put that aside, the other thing happening at the same time is data is exploding, right? So 20 years ago, 15 years ago, most of the data that was generated in the world was done through by, by humans. We would enter it into computer systems and that's where it would sit. Uh, now, most of the data is generated by machines or by sensors in the environment through IoT mm -hmm. or, or other things. So this data is exploding at the same time that we need to be able to act on it and compute on it more effectively and more efficiently than ever in the past, but Moore's Law is now flattening. So, so what do we do? It's really exciting because it's causing us to have to really rethink computer architecture, rethink memory and storage, rethink computation. So, you know, when I look at this and when the lab looks at this, we, we, think, we think through and, 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 and think about, all right, how fundamentally do we have to change architecture in order to be able to get value out of that data? So it's the data that's really driving our thinking about what might come next. And, and so what's interesting is that you've got this data, we want to be able to act on that ever-growing pool of data. Um, the general purpose you know, processors and CPUs that we've been using are going to start flattening out. So we have to start thinking about newer ways of, of acting on that data, maybe perhaps using special purpose computational accelerators. Uh, maybe accelerators that aren't so um, based on the digital domain, which is what we've been writing through Moore's Law, but maybe accelerators that can be based on the analog domain. And so there's a, a, a body of work, not just within uh, Hewlett-Packard Enterprise, but within the industry that's looking at resurrecting some of these older analog-based ideas and, uh, and using those to develop uh, computational engines of the future. I think there's gonna be a lot of promise in that, uh, and that's gonna come. But the other thing that's, that's uh, I think, on the horizon that we're gonna see is um, the replacement of copper interconnects for communication with, uh, with photonic interconnects. Mm -hmm. And we've already started to see this with data center to data center communication, that's all photonic. 
We see it with uh, enclosure to enclosure or system to system communication within data centers. A lot of that is photonic. But in order to be able to access this ever-growing pool of data that is, you know, as the pool of data grows, it's going to take up more and more physical space to house that data, which means that the physical distance between computing elements and the data itself is going to grow. And so more and more of this is just forcing us to, to think through how do we replace the copper uh, interconnects with photonic. And if you kind of project that out to its logical conclusion, um, we see that all communication within systems and even within computer chips themselves, to the extent possible, is going to be photonic in the future. So that's something to look forward to as well. It's something the industry's been looking at for some time now, but I think we're, we're kind of seeing the light at the end of the tunnel on that. Funny that you mentioned that we're going back to hybrid computing. 36 years ago, that was the theme of my Bachelor of Science thesis. But also going back to what you said about peers, that we can't do everything by ourselves. Um, we are working with a number of universities, so can you give us some hints? What is a successful university collaboration? Well, we've, we've been working with universities for um, really ever since I joined Hewlett Packard Labs. Mm -hmm. and. Um, I, I see universities and academia and industry as really kind of this symbiotic relationship. So we think about what, what do universities do. Universities have a couple of functions. They, they, they develop, especially research universities, they develop new fundamental ideas, right, um, for a variety of different disciplines. And they also train the future workforce. They train them uh, based on a certain discipline, but they also train them based on these new ideas. Mm -hmm. And that workforce then does what? It goes out into industry, or at least a portion of it does. And industry uses that workforce to, uh, to take ideas and turn them into business value. Uh, and they also learn from that workforce because they're bringing in these new you know, fundamental ideas that are coming from universities. Um, and then what, what industry does is it learns from uh, the process of creating business value from ideas, and it comes up with new challenges and new opportunities. And those challenges and opportunities find their way back to the universities, uh, where, where the professors and the students there then start developing them further. So it's a symbiotic relationship. And that's kind of how I view the way, um, you know, at, at, in, in, in Hewlett-Packard Labs and in our lab, how we work with universities. It's a collaboration. It's not, um, it's not a transaction. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a, a fundamental collaboration where um, we're helping them, they're helping us, we're learning from them, they're learning from us. That's the way it works the best in, in my experience. You are, probably not by coincidence, the general chair of International Conference on Rebooting Computing, which is really tied to what you are telling us earlier about Andrew Moore's Law and everything. Uh, I also know that you're a senior member of IEEE, which is the sponsor of this event. So I'm uh, curious to learn why you're doing this. I'm, I really commend you for that. It's really rare that we have uh, one VP uh, be a general chair and, and doing the service to community. Well, first of all, I need to thank you for all of your service to the community because you've done a tremendous amount more than, than I've done in this space. So thank you for, for all of your, your work. Um, so I, I'm... I feel strongly, though, about, um, about volunteering, about giving back um, for uh, several different reasons, some of which I've, you know, we've already talked about in the, in the podcast, uh, about staying on top of things, staying connected to your peers and the like. But, um, but I first uh, got into volunteering, particularly um, 
in uh, professional societies when I was in, in college. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that was with the American Society of Mechanical Engineers, being a mechanical yep. engineer. And, um, and so it, it, was, it was a great way to learn about the discipline. You know, I was still sort of new to the area, wasn't really sure um, what kind of career I'd be able to make out of it. So I started volunteering in the student society and, and uh, um, pulling people together and, and uh, having tech talks about, uh, about what um, you know, mechanical engineers and industry did. And, and I remember um, we would occasionally go out and tour um, industries in the area, companies in the area that had a basis in mechanical engineering to learn about what they were doing. And one of the companies that we um, visited was, was Hewlett Packard. And um, the, the division that we visited was the inkjet division. Mm -hmm. And so they were building printers, and uh, more specifically, they were building inkjet cartridges, which, if you look at it, is all about mechanical engineering. And so not only did my, my volunteerism and, and um, activity in the society uh, get me interested in, in just that aspect of being an engineer, um, that's how I learned about my future company. Little, little did I know at the time, but that's where I would end up working. So, and I made that connection back. You know, I, I toured Hewlett Packard, fell in love with the idea of what they were doing, and went back to them when I was looking for um, for my job. But, and then that 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 continued. So when I finally got a job um, for Hewlett Packard, I had to move to a new geographic location, and so volunteering for me. Um, was a way to meet new people in that area, to be connected with that region that I was unfamiliar with. So did that through, um, again, ASME, American Society of Mechanical Engineering types events and, and the like, but then from there got interested in IEEE and, um, and really started volunteering at uh, conferences, um, conference committees, um, being a reviewer for papers and, and things of that nature, and then chairing conferences and, and the like. But it always goes back to um, not just giving back, but staying connected to your peers, staying on top of, um, of, of your discipline, kind of connecting back to the fundamentals, mm -hmm. and then being ready to embrace change when it, when it comes. So I, I connect volunteering back all the way to you know, the advice that I would give young people entering the profession. So you have covered tremendous amount of space from technology to management, innovation, advanced development. Uh, I really exhausted all the questions. Do you have any last thoughts that you would like to communicate to our audience? I, I think um, the, the one thing that we need to understand in, in, in the engineering discipline is that not everything we do is going to be successful, however we define success. Um, but one thing that's, that I found really important in my career is that persistence pays off. Don't give up. If you think mm -hmm. you have a, a really good idea, um, chances are you, you probably do have a really good idea. And, and if, if people tell you it's not a good idea, well, it could be because they don't really understand it or they don't see what, what you see. So um, be persistent. Uh, continue to fight for what you, uh, what you think is right from, a, from your engineering discipline perspective. But also, eventually, if, uh, if it's not going to work out, you have to know when to give up, too. And so, you know, we have a mantra around, around here that says, you know, fail fast. And that's a great mantra. You know, definitely try something if it doesn't work, then move on to something else. But at the same time, don't fail too fast. Um, be mindful that just because an idea uh, might not be ripe now doesn't mean it's not going to be ripe a couple of years from now. It is all about timing, and sometimes our ideas and the market timing don't always work out. So that's why persistence is really, really important, I think, in this industry. Well, thank you very much for your time and uh, talking to our audience. I wish I had, at this time, 
when at the young points of my career, uh, someone to advise me like Colin just did. Thank you, Dan. It's a pleasure.